0: Coming at you live from a forest perpetually at risk of industrial destruction, it's Cartoon Night in Canada. Hey, what you watching? To Night in Canada, a nostalgic journey to dig through decades of Canadian animation to find the good, the bad, and the just plain weird. I am your co-host, Chris Lucy Antonio.
1: And I'm your co-host, Sylvie Kettles.
0: And this week we have to step outside of our relatively I'd say thin border of familiarity.
1: Yeah, this is the first time where our uh the sentence, a nostalgic journey, is an out and out lie, because neither of us have seen this show.
0: But this is such a kind of like institution of Canadiana, Canadiana? Yeah, that's the word. Canimation. Uh, canimation, or what, however you want to say it. It's such kind of a staple of the picture of contemporary Canadian animation that I feel like I have got like nostalgic osmosis, because this is something I've known about for years, but its airing was past both of our both of our times, unfortunately, so this is like a first proper exposure to one, probably one of the most important cartoons in the history of Canadian national animation.
1: Yeah. I, I wouldn't even call it like, that's not even hyperbole. That's just historical fact.
0: Yeah. And in our noble goal listener to bring you the full picture of Canadian animation, we have, this is our mission and we gallantly accept it. We have to step outside of our own personal experience with Canadian animation every now and then and potentially sound completely uninformed and shit upon a staple of your own childhood. Oops. It might happen.
1: I don't think it's going to happen today, though.
0: No, but this is just a preface for all future episodes in which we do a show (laughs) that neither of us have seen. Yeah, It's like, hey, we might not like it and we might inadvertently hurt your feelings because this is something that meant so much to you as a kid. It did not for us.
1: And uh, just to let you guys know, ahead of time, it is a personal attack, uh, it is intentional, and we're not sorry.
0: There seems to be some disagreement between the hosts about (laughs) whether or not this is a targeted attack on your own personal childhoods, (laughs) and I believe I would like to keep that ambiguity moving forward. You never know if we are your friend or foe when we come after one of your favorite cartoons as a kid
1: (laughs) you're so much kinder than i
0: (laughs) this is the evergreen forest
1: quiet peaceful serene that is until Bert raccoon wakes
0: up so this week we are taking a look at the raccoons uh the animated series created written produced scored by uh kevin gillis who conceived the project in the 70s parlayed that into several successful animated specials in the late 80s early 90s and and finally found his way to cbc for a animated series that lasted a whole decade
1: Uh, It never really took a dip in popularity throughout that decade. Like, it was just, it was pretty consistently beloved throughout its run, as far as my research went, at least.
0: And that's such a strange thing about us kind of taking it on from a completely uninformed space that we are in, because, like, this was a massive kind of industry. Like, Kevin Gill has kind of started a whole revolution of Canadian televised animation at the time, and... I had, and I don't think it really kind of left the, it, it's kind of run, because, like, as soon as it was taken off the air, I I don't think it really lasted in syndication.
1: No. No, it definitely didn't have a very long shelf life after. Which is also rare, because normally once something is popular enough that it can get the 100 episodes or whatever you need to for syndication, like... If it's going, if it's already gotten that far, it's usually going to be okay forever. And this one just kind of wasn't.
0: Yeah, it's, it's incredibly strange. So the, the basic premise of the show, if you don't know, it's, it's about like, uh, three eponymous, uh, anthropomorphized scavengers of, you know, the, the, uh, of the- Little
1: trash pandas.
0: Little trash pandas, the, the three raccoons, uh, Bert, Melissa, and, who's the third one? Uh,
1: ben, no, no. Uh,
0: it's Ralph. Ralph. Yeah. Uh, who are essentially a throuple, even though it's not really stressed in the show. They yeah,
1: like their dynamic makes no fucking sense. I I thought my initial thought was like, are are like Melissa and Ralph, his Bert's parents? Are they siblings? Are they fucking? What's I... going on?
0: Well, it's Melissa and Ralph are a married couple, which is really strange to see in a uh. Show targeted towards kids, and Bert is their layabout roommates, and they live in the evergreen forest, which is constantly at risk of being ecologically destroyed by greedy capitalist Cedric Sneer, the Cyril Sneer.
1: Yeah, the art bar. That's a good one.
0: Sorry, it's, it's clearly, Come on. clearly, clearly, the unfamiliarity with the series is shining through already
1: such such unprofessionalism
0: hey you come to expect it from us so (laughs) greedy industrialist Cyril sneer is constantly trying to devastate the forest for gross capital means and it's up to the dim-witted bert and his two responsible adult friends ralph and melissa to stop his many many environmentally harmful plans
1: and Something that hit, like, way too close to home, like, was too- it was one of those, oh, that's- no, that's just too real, is that even when they defeat him, even when, like, the Evergreen Forest is saved in some capacity, he usually still makes money and just continues to accumulate wealth, and it's like, oh...
0: I, kids have to learn the hard lessons like you, you can you can fight capitalism all you want but eventually like the the environment is still going to take a hit and they will never be out of power like you you can you can stop their production of whatever harmful uh business practice they're doing but eventually it's like hey you you it was a drop in the bucket and they're still fine
1: and then like he's still gonna profit off of the green energy whatever <laughs> like whatever alternative has been creative. He's still going to find a way to make money off of it. i was like, you motherfucker, stop being relevant.
0: <laughs> so yeah, so uh the, the raccoons is kind of like emblematic of this late 80s to mid 90s obsession with teaching environmentalism to kids and like ecological harm. So like you, you got the raccoons, you obviously got Captain Planet and the Planet Tears, something called the Smoggies which came across in my Research and like the animals of farthing wood. Like, we were really trying to hammer to kids that, like, the environment is a precious resource that is being depleted mostly due to capitalism and a lot of good that did 30 years later.
1: Well, I actually have a theory of like a weird conspiracy theory about that, and that's that, like, this mentality, like, because we knew it was important, we knew we had to teach kids that, like, okay. Uh, we have to be spending our lives like protecting the environment because it was so hammered in it we developed this mentality where if you try to actually protect the environment and go about doing good things and uh, standing up against people who want to just demolish wetlands and forests then people will inherently believe that that is childish that that is a naive and childish ideal oh because it's like oh what what do you what do you think you're on captain planet and you're just trying to clean up a fucking oil spill
0: (laughs) i mean maybe i i can i have
1: absolutely no idea what like psychological weight that has but that's what my that's what i believe
0: well, I mean, I can see it like to an extent where it's like, hey, uh, well, uh, my, my raccoon pals, Bert, Ralph and Melissa said that we got to protect the environment. It's like, oh, huh, yeah, 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 that's a uh, that's that's, good. that's an
1: adult thing to think of. That,
0: that That's good little Jimmy. So we're going to be in the real world where raccoons can't talk. And I still have to and work my- wage fuck min-
1: those raccoons. We're gonna destroy the environment.
0: I have to work my minimum wage job at the sludge producing factory. I'm sorry <laughs> that I'm gonna make Bert cry.
1: <laughs> and honestly, I think we should be thinking more about the birds of the world. Like, don't make Bert cry, you fucking weirdos.
0: Can we kind of get into Bert's character because he's like the oh my god he he's the central focus of the show. Well, him parlayed with Cyril Sneer, who is takes more of like takes more of a protagonist role in the episodes that I saw. Uh, But Bert is such an annoying character.
1: I I fucking hate that dude. That limp nosed motherfucker.
0: Maybe I'm speaking from like my late twenties and. I am not the target audience who I'm reading, like, the major demographic was, like, 11-year-olds who would find okay. his bumbling, nasally, layabout ways charming. But, man, this this motherfucker is, like, a definition of failing upwards.
1: I think it was... What what really pissed me off was... Okay, so we watched um, the Evergreen Grand Prix, was the episode that we chose to watch to discuss.
0: But that's the uh, fifth episode to the first season, I believe.
1: Yes. And... It opens, like, so Cyril is gonna have this fucking car factory plopped right down the middle of the evergreen forest, business as usual, and then when Melissa and Ralph find out about it, they're both going like, oh shit, this is gonna absolutely heck up our entire way of life, this is gonna destroy the forest, this is gonna destroy our homes, this is, this is bad. Bert's immediate reaction is, hell yeah! I could get a job there and then it isn't until the idea of working in this factory becomes an inconvenience to him that he's like, Oh, oh we gotta stop this guy.
0: I I think honestly that's Bert lives with Melissa and Ralph because they are too afraid for him to be on his own. Oh yeah. It's one he of would the be
1: eaten by a coyote within a week.
0: It's one of those situations where it's like, man, this guy can't literally can't take care of himself. He is He has never learned the proper life skills, so I think it's up to us, as probably his only friends, to take responsibility of him. Despite the fact he might be older than us,
1: they were definitely like buddies in college, and Melissa and Ralph have grown up and uh, you know got they got married. They definitely have steady jobs, Uh, and they're they're thinking about starting a family but they don't have the heart to kick Ralph out or yeah, uh, kick Bert out.
0: So one thing that I really like that this show does in terms of like it falls under the umbrella of teaching kids about environmentalism is that it gives you the perfect kind of caricature of a greedy capitalist in in the form of Aardvark's serial sneer and that amazing vocal performance by Michael McGee.
1: Oh my God he nails it every time
0: like this is he's like one of the most heinous kind of businessmen ever committed to animation in that like any kid would any kid watching the show is like oh i'm supposed to hate this type of person
1: unequivocally that is an evil person
0: it's like it's like a more gross version of mr burns because like with michael mcgee's performance like with michael mcgee's performance it's like oh yeah this guy has been like eating cigars for the majority of his life
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I, burns is more like sinister and just kind of a dumbass like Cyril snare is evil a dumbass and just a jackass
0: <laughs> like almost every single one of the schemes is like well i live in this densely populated forest how can i fuck it over In order to make as much money as possible.
1: Yeah, what can I destroy this week?
0: Yeah, and that's that's kind of like the the premise of all episodes of the raccoons is that it all revolves around one of Cyril sneers' business get rich quick schemes, and the raccoons, the the trio of raccoons, going like, "Hey, this is really going to impact the forest. Please stop," and have to show them up. Yeah, exactly. I have to show up at something that he does, such as in this one where he's trying to drop a car manufacturing plant in the middle of the forest, which in his own words, like their cars will literally like eat gasoline and billow out smoke.
1: Yep, that is that is the point.
0: It's not a subtle environmental message. But again, we're talking to 11 year olds here.
1: Yeah and so like it's it's being done through this guy's that he needs to seal a like i guess a diesel contract with Mr. Mammoth who might be my favorite villain ever <laughs> i just love this grumpy ass rhino who has to be translated and i love the the relationship that like I think that the little yellow bird who translates for him is supposed to be one of those like birds that clean rhinos' teeth.
0: Yeah, this is a and, yeah, this is a great trope because this is. There's also a character in the other Canadian cartoon we're going to be covering, Spliced, which is this same dynamic. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, uh, I love it. It's so funny.
0: So, uh, like, w- with this kind of premise, is I didn't quite understand it because the the idea is. Uh, uh, Cyril Sneer's son, who with his college ed- education, fuck that guy, uh, like he, Cedric, he like the whole idea is that he built a energy efficient car, and Cyril realized that his partner, Mammoth Motors, doesn't want an energy-efficient car. They want one that literally takes thousands of gallons of gas. And in retaliation, the raccoons build uh, the, that car, call it the solar coaster, and just Great name. It is. And they have an impromptu race, which apparently decides the contract. They literally just show up at the test drive for C- Cyril's energy, unefficient car, and say, like, hey, why don't we have a race? And this is how you do business in Evergreen Forest, apparently. Yeah.
1: That's, that's, how, that's how everyone does business. Chris, come on. That's because I also, um, so in preparation for this, I also attempted to uh, watch some of the old specials, um, but I couldn't find those. Instead, I found the uh, the LPs of them. So I I listened to the Raccoons on Ice, which follows an extremely similar plot where he wants to basically turn the lake into a, a public, like an ice rink so that he can charge people to skate on the lake. Very Canadian. Um, so That's a very Canadian problem. So in order to stop him, they have a hockey game to determine the owner ownership of the lake. Yeah. I think that that's just how they solve problems in the evergreen forest is through some form of sport.
0: Hey, it, it, it works because every time Cyril Sneer is like completely on board for their scheme and, yeah. and it just, He's a he's a, just apparently a terrible businessman. Like well, like most greedy capitalists, is that they they fail upwards.
1: Yeah, he's he's an absolute dumbass who just keeps getting money. Well, and even like so the very end of so he loses or he wins the race but loses the contract anyway because his car is a hunk of junk, mm-hmm. uh, which is also weirdly accurate to like the consumer culture of like. Things are not built to last. They're built to be really, really fast and shiny in the you know for a couple of years or a couple months, and then they literally fall to pieces, and you're forced to buy a new one. So he he wins the race, but the, the car falls to pieces, and Mr. Mammoth is like, "I like this solar car. It's mine now." And then he still manages to profit off of. The design for the solar car because it is technically what cedric made for him first and so he's like haha i have the designs and then just continues to profit
0: even in the fantasy world of children's animation the rich get richer yep what what a what a bleak cartoon this is <laughs> what 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 a just kevin gillis like you saw through you, you saw through the way business works, and goddammit, you weren't letting those kids off easy. They they had to learn nope. the hard way.
1: Life is suffering, kids. Even, it doesn't matter if you get that swanky college education, your dad's gonna fuck you over somehow.
0: I, I, maybe because we are both like college grads, but I just love how much his dad throws that in his face. Like, oh, you, yeah. you and your fancy college education, like, like I am, I work in the real world. I'm a businessman. You come work for me. It's like, ah, Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, that that is that exact, uh, the the boomerism of you know spending your entire childhood being told go to college, get a get a good education so that you can get a real job, so that you're not working at McDonald's your whole life, and then you do it, and then you're uh, saddled with crushing debt, and the only way to pay it off is to work at McDonald's, and then when you say to those same relatives. Hey, maybe we should uh have a better world. They're like, oh, fucking college liberals."
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that is the uh, that that is the vibe you get off serial steer and his relationship to his son. Uh Yeah. So, so I I think it's important for, uh to when we talk about the raccoons, to talk about the music because Kevin Gillis was uh well-known in the music scene in Canada before he broke into animation. Uh he had like several stints on different shows doing the music and released some solo material. He toured with one of the people from Peter Paul and Mary. Oh yeah? Yeah, like he was he was well known and had like a, a serviceable career, but when he transitions into an animation and production of more like children's entertainment, he keeps the idea that like music is important. So, he's the lead composer of the show, and this show has one of the greatest soundtracks of any cartoon I've heard it, in forever.
1: It's so good. Like, especially in terms of, like, 80s cartoons. Like, yeah. I would say there's the, there's this, and there's, like, maybe the Transformers.
0: Or, like, Gem, Gem in the Holograms. It's, like, this this is new wave as fuck
1: it's so good bangers only
0: yeah there's the there's the infamous uh theme song to it run with us which is an absolute bop uh i literally after watching this i added that to my workout playlist because like man i i I just kind of want that to be constantly uh pinging around in my head because it's so heavy since 80s it's it's glorious
1: it's so good and, like, so they, that was part of the reason why, um, so this show was wildly expensive to produce, yes. uh, but part of that was licensing fees, because while, uh, they had, um, Lisa
0: Loheed.
1: while they had Lisa Lowheed um, writing music for the show, um, they also got music from Rita Coolidge and Leo Sayer that was, had not been written, so they had to pay the licensing fees, to, uh, to use this music and that's just dedication when you're like yeah we could we have a musician on staff uh, and in fact like Rita Coolidge had worked with him in the past on the uh, the Christmas specials so it's like you could just ask her to write a new song but instead you're like no nah, I'm gonna I need this one. I'm gonna shell up for those licensing fees.
0: And you're Kevin Gillis. You're an established musician. Like you're already writing all the music. How about putting some lyrics to them? I mean, cut costs where you can, sir. the The first nope. the first season alone cost a uh, CBC like four point seven 4500000 dollars.
1: And that's eighties.
0: Yeah, that's million
1: dollars. That's in I the forgot 80s. to look up. I forgot to look up the inflation. I mean, because I was going to. I'm, I'm going to do it right now.
0: I mean it's insane. And uh, listen, this is a, this was the 80s when animation was trying to cut costs wherever it could. But good god, man, this was this was a quality product. Uh, Kevin Deolis did not skimp on anything.
1: Okay, so it would cost roughly 1 million dollars per episode today.
0: <sighs> Jesus. To
1: make an episode of the Raccoons.
0: Yeah, you're not that, that's that's not necessarily out of the realm of possibility for certain shows today but man you if you're a first-time producer of a cartoon you would not be getting that kind of budget
1: absolutely not that's like that's ghost in the shell standalone complex numbers
0: man he not to say that his career in broadcasting and his music and his career like in the canadian entertainment industry didn't put him up to commanding these numbers but the fact that he was able to corral an entire crew together for the original animated specials and and from there parlay it with cbc to one of their probably most expensive productions at the time it's kind of incredible that we that the raccoons even exist and that so many people were willing to take a chance on it
1: yeah that's a lot of faith to uh to put on a first-time showrunner and I'm glad it paid off.
0: Yeah, because uh, you can see, uh, at least compared to most uh, other anim- '80s animated shows that I've seen, uh, the quality is on the screen with the raccoons and is missing from other shows. Because <laughs> de- despite despite the like, limitations of the period and the and doing it as it was, like underpaying, you know, uh, cell animators and so on and so forth, uh, this is incredibly smooth and nice looking show the the backgrounds are gorgeous the character animation is always on point and it's and it's amazing just how infrequently it reuses poses it's it's incredible yeah it's like
1: every single motion is new they're never having like the you know where you you have someone like vaguely raising a fist and then you just use those five or six frames throughout the entire conversation
0: yeah, it's it's almost like uh he's trying to have that same kind of qualitative level that he had on those specials because I, I I did yeah. I, did, I did, did manage to find the first one, uh, Christmas Raccoons, which kicked off oh, yeah. the whole Raccoons Empire, and yeah, it it's uh it's incredibly smooth animation. It's it looks great. Uh, there's you can't even really notice any kind of hitches or mistakes in it, and the fact that the series is not at all a downgrade from that is kind of insane.
1: Yeah, that's incredibly rare again, especially for cartoons in the 80s where it was super common to throw a lot of money at either a special or if you're feeling even cheaper, the uh the opening intro. Mm-hmm. And that so you throw your entire budget at little things that can draw in an audience and then by the time they're already watching it you you don't need to care that much. And so it's really rare to see that level of quality not take a dip.
0: It's incredibly shocking. Uh, and I respect, I absolutely respect Kevin Gillis as a figure in Canadian animation because he understood that the way that you last in that industry and leave a mark where people are, like like us, are still relatively interested in the show and talking about today is by putting the quality on screen. And and because of Kevin Gillis and the Raccoons as an entity, uh, Canadian the Canadian animation industry had a huge boon because so many first people. For, I was reading some kind of like accounts of people who worked at, on the Raccoons during its heyday, and so many people's like first job out of the animation program at Sheridan College was working on the Raccoons. Like they were just scooping up all of these students. Like hey, here's your first time run in animation.
1: Yeah, and a lot of them like d- did go on to have successful careers in animation, too. Like I was just looking at the um, I was looking my my biggest uh source for just generic uh not generic uh general uh academic info because we're academics is the Cartoon Capers book. Uh, and I was looking at the uh, like the career of Nick Ranieri who, Hmm. like, he got his start at, um, on the raccoons, and then moved, was one of the few who, like, went on to Disney. And he ended up, like, being one of the lead animators for, uh, for Hades in Hercules. Ah. In the 90s, and it's like, yeah, he's, it's, it's, like, just the movement of that, it's, like, he was one of the lead character animators for Hades, and, um, I don't want to say you could see that influence because like the Disney style is overpowering no matter who you are as an artist, True. but like, I'm going to go and say like, yeah, that sort of villainous sneering.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, and it's, it's such, it's such a great thing that they were able to get there, like so many talented people, uh, fresh out of the Sheridan college and other places around were able to go-to, I think it was in Ottawa is where they set up production house? Yes. Yeah, for the raccoons. And there was just an industry there, all on its own, yeah. prepping you. An for... industry
1: built on one fucking show. Which just was just... taking new students and just being like, here, here's the world of animation, welcome.
0: And it here's was the job. And it was all just kind of like self-taught by Kevin Gillis because his background was in animation. He... Like, the origin of the entire idea of the raccoons is, like, a personal anecdote he had with a raccoon at his cottage. What? Literally, that that's where it comes from. Like, he's, like, like the idea of the raccoons was, was born out of a personal, like, story he has. Like, wait, yeah, I w- had this little experience with a raccoon at my cottage, and I thought, this will make a great animated series.
1: That's amazing. Like, yeah, like sidebar, I love raccoons in general. And it's kind of amazing that there aren't more of them in animation because they have such great mo- motion. Like they're just these roly-poly friends <laughs> with their with their little grabby hands.
0: Um, raccoons are great. You, you know, there's like a occasional Twitter videos you see of like domesticated raccoons who are just like like they look dangerously obese. Yeah. Like what? What if the show like took that instead? Instead of like <gasps> these kind of slender designs for the, the characters, what if it was just like big they chunks were just
1: these of... little roly roly chunky friends just flopping around? Oh, I would love that. Well,
0: I guess we could, we could talk about the designs for for a bit because I I, I generally like uh, the three main characters of the raccoons, uh, although it's kind of pushing what a raccoon is supposed to look like. I don't I know. I
1: hate Bert's nose. It's so much. It's really distracting. It looks So much like a floppy dick. <laughs> Just stuck on his face. Like like the, the fucking aardvark characters have less of dick looking noses than than Bert.
0: Yeah, and it's so strange that like Cyril uh, is supposed to be an aardvark, because I it looks nothing like a fucking artvark.
1: I look at him and my heart says snork, even though I know that's not what a snork looks like at all. Mm-hmm. But he just has snork energy.
0: I can, I can, I can see that. Uh, but liberties were taken uh, <laughs> when the the uh, when Kevin Gills was designing these characters.
1: This is truly the uh, the forerunner of Canadian animation that doesn't know what a fucking aardvark looks like.
0: Shout out to Arthur.
1: <laughs> Shout out to Arthur.
0: Oh God! Are we gonna do Arthur on the show, or is that just too played out?
1: Yeah, probably. Ah, uh, great. I want to talk about the Rat Wedding, Chris. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, befitting a befitting a show that none of us really have that nostalgic connection to, I'm I'm suspecting this is going to be a less substantial episode moving forward, like within Cartoon Night in Canada. But I I think it'd be we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the plan to reboot the raccoons.
1: I mean, we don't have to.
0: <laughs> I think we would be remiss if we I didn't talk think... about the ongoing plan to reboot the raccoons.
1: I was ready to forget that again.
0: So listener, in a world where 80s animation is being rebooted constantly nowadays, we had the new Shira cartoon. We just had the new He-Man cartoon. Uh, I'm sure there are other examples. There are plans.
1: It, but Shira slapped is the thing.
0: Doesn't matter, it's part of this trend. There <laughs> this is are painful. There are ongoing talks, I guess you can call them, that the raccoons is coming back. Yes, that is the reaction <laughs> I expected.
1: <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm on I opened the link again and I'm just staring at these designs.
0: Yeah. <gasps> So 30 years after it wrapped up on CBC television, Kevin Gillis and a new crop of workers uh, and production companies, specifically Run With Us Productions, named after the famous song, obviously, have taken it upon themselves to think what 2021 needs right now is the raccoons to make a return.
1: Okay, I'm looking at this this, this bit of like um, promotional art that they've done, and I've decided I really like the background art
0: yes but compared to the original 80s like version a,
1: shh, no it has like a nice gravity falls vibe to it i'm just trying not to look at the characters is what i'm saying
0: <laughs> and i don't want to i don't want to necessarily shit on new uh like the current trend of design work that's going on within the industry because it's what's popular and it's what's connecting with audiences so i can't be too mad at it but so much personality just seems to be devoid of these characters after watching the really kind of more pronounced one version of the 80s cartoon. I'm I'm not really getting that same feel of the characters looking at, at um, this design.
1: Bert looks like semi-competent, which I think is the biggest failure <laughs> of this design. It's like he looks like he knows what he's doing a little bit and that's just in- inaccurate.
0: Yeah, he doesn't have the cock nose anymore.
1: I mean, that's that's an improvement. I guess. It's still... It's still a little bit floppy down. It still looks more like a dick than the fucking, like, I guess, faucet-looking noses that the aardvarks over there have. Like, that is a full 90-degree angle down.
0: So do you think this this reboot's ever going to see the light of day?
1: Honestly? It might.
0: Like, we were... It might. Like... We were talking before we started recording and the basic idea uh, according to the, the production company is that they were planning on releasing a special like a, another Christmas special before uh, committing to the series and that was kind of announced in 2019 and not a lot has been heard from it since. Uh, we still have these promotional images and some and some background uh, interviews of the creators and... An official raccoon's Instagram uh, page was launched, like, in, in, like, a month ago. Jesus. So it seems like it's going to happen, but at the same time, it's like, does, would this resonate with audiences, do you think?
1: I, I don't know. It depends on the direction they try to go with it. Because, like, obviously I think that the, that there are aspects of the original raccoons that would resonate with a modern audience because it does hit that level of like too real hmm. that I think or like our generation really really uh, responds to it might not resonate with kids as much
0: No it's and just sad well the, the thing is and I was I was thinking about this quite a bit is that like serial sneer is not our is not the current era's version of a greedy industrialist and capitalist. It's, it's more in the lines of Elon Musk.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the current evil capitalist is one who, like, has a weird amount of support from from people who think that they're going to get to go to Mars, too.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's like, with the episode that we watched, instead of, uh, uh, what, what was it, like, Mammoth Motors, like, it, instead of their uh, company being dropped in it, it was a Tesla company being dropped in the middle yeah. of Evergreen Forest. And that would be polarizing for today's audience because most kids are like, hey, I love Teslas.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, they just look so cool. And like, they're fancy. And I'm going to have one.
0: <laughs> um, imagine this new reboot where like, Cyril Sneer is like sharing dank memes on his social media feed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and there's just like this whole room of tech bros going, hell yeah!
0: Oh, and... Actually, this is where the reboot should go, uh, Kevin Gillis. I hope you're listening. Uh, the, the trio of Bert, Ralph, and Melissa—they're eco terrorists.
1: Oh, oh, hell yeah!
0: I, I, I know, like from this promotional image, it looks all happy and and jollical, and they they're all like, they and they seem like very kind of uh, non-threatening. But no, in in this the reboot that I have in my mind, they are like firebombing all of Serial Sneer's uh, factories that he's putting up in, in the forest.
1: Yeah, like, they are actively, like, dismantling everything from be- because the
0: Because, as we've learned, we live in a climate crisis that really can't be undone anymore.
1: Nope, so all we can do is try to hold the people responsible accountable.
0: Oh god, that's another reason why the Raccoon's Reboot can't come back, because, like, these fucking environmental messages, they... It's too late. <laughs>
1: it's too CEO of Nestle doesn't think that water is a human right so all we can do is
0: okay that's gonna get cut (laughs) I'm sorry I mean like don't 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 like put the podcast up for legal action here
1: I I won't advocate violence
0: but yes the 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 raccoons will be coming back to a fucking streaming service near you uh and to for it's like too little too late pro environmental messages to fall on deaf ears of today's zoomers yay
1: yay
0: so o- overall what you what did you think of the raccoons and like kind of our first official exposure to it cuz i thought the series kind of ripped and I'm glad that it exists and I might actually track down more of the episodes because
1: I was going to say, I'm probably going to watch a few more episodes. <laughs> um, Honestly, it made me think it took me back to like, did you ever listen to Sharon Lois and Bram?
0: Can't say that I have.
1: Okay. So they were like a, a musical trio uh, in, in Canada. I Um, I want to save like seventies, eighties, and my brother and I had like three cassette tapes of them because my family is perpetually like a decade behind everyone else, um, technology wise. Which honestly, kind of, kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, it just like they were just these children's entertainers. They were like the Canadian Wiggles, basically. Oh, God. Um, yeah, but they were just like, I don't know, it, like, none of the content is the same, but the raccoons just made me feel like I was listening to Sharon, Lois, and Bram. It's that same level of, like, comfortable, fun, and banger music.
0: That's, that's a thing, because even if I end up, for whatever reason, not watching more episodes, like, I'm going to listen to more of the songs that are on the soundtrack.
1: Yeah. It's a good soundtrack
0: but I I think uh, like we've at the very least stressed the fact that this wasn't a a very important show in the history of Canadian animation and like I don't think even think we mentioned it uh, but like the the fact that it had such a successful run and had that premier uh primetime spot it and it really showed to I, I guess the industry at large that like Canadian animation was something that you could invest this this amount of money in, and
1: yeah, like have Disney it resonate. Ended up buying buying the airing rights,
0: yeah, like right out the gate too. It was pre-sold to them, mm-hmm. like on on the uh, on the strength of those animate animated specials, which again uh, were sold to hundreds of networks uh, uh, across the country, uh, uh, both Canada and the United States, and the, the fact that it all came from like one guy who was kind of bumming around the entertainment industry at the time and just had this was really passionate about this one idea and was able to i
1: was just like hey raccoons are great guys
0: exactly he he saw through it and realized that like t- today when we have those kind of like raccoons that make you smile twitter account and all, all that kind of shit it's like yeah he, he was on the ground floor of redefining <laughs> raccoons as adorable animals
1: like <laughs> raccoons that make you smile twitter account just randomly posting a screenshot from the raccoons with no context
0: oh that'd be good viral marketing for the new series
1: right they need to they need to get in on this
0: for for like a week all, all like all the raccoons uh accounts on twitter like hey like disney plus or whatever they're paying them it's like hey just, just post raccoons the show content from from now yeah. on help us help us cuz no one remembers our show <laughs> anything okay. left to say about anything left to say about the raccoons
1: not really oh my other my, the other big like massive leap that my brain takes when i watch this show is it's almost like moomin energy
0: okay i can see it
1: but a lot but a lot angrier oh my god the 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 reboot the eco terrorist reboot could include Snufkin, actual eco-terrorist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: get in get in touch. Get in touch with the Tove Janssen estate.
0: <laughs> G- Gillis, I know I know, I know you are listening to us. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you for, for the download. Yeah. Uh if you want really
1: appreciate it.
0: we can help you workshop some ideas to make the raccoons relevant again.
1: I think we can do it. I think we can really bring it up for a 2021 audience, I, th-
0: I think so. I think so. I mean, like, I I, I gave you the I, I gave him the, like the absolute gold idea of Cyril Sneer being a Elon Musk as shit posting billionaire.
1: Yeah, uh, we definitely need like a-, a new character who's kind of just like like an Elon Musk fanboy. So just someone who's like hell yeah, Cyril Sneer, like who's like. Not a person who should like him, but is just weirdly infatuated with the idea that no, this guy is gonna take bring us to the future. He's gonna get us fucking hoverboards.
0: Ex- like how about how, like uh, Shaper the dog? His puppy son is that character.
1: Yes. See, th-
0: this is so easy. Uh, this is so easy. I, rip, I don't. I, I don't rip understand. All
1: uh, brew stands. <laughs>
0: Uh well, on that note, I think we'll close this episode out. Uh I wish we had more to say about it, but again, the whole point of the of the series is to be like a nostalgic reevaluation of our own tastes in Canadian animation to an extent. And the Raccoon and just case, was not part it was of that. More picture.
1: Of like a first look.
0: Yeah, yeah, so it's a different tone, different feel to the other episodes, but I think it's well it'll be an entertaining listen all the same.
1: I hope so. Oh, speaking of entertaining, listen, uh, did you see that Danko Jones has a new song out?
0: How is it you? How is it you the one that brought up Danko Jones? Because that was, that was my running <laughs> joke.
1: You've ruined my YouTube recommendations. And it, the, the music video popped up like two, three days ago. <laughs> I was like.
0: <laughs> "Uh, not so uh, also, uh, Kevin Gillis, if you're listening, uh, hire Danko Jones to do a cover of Run I with Us.
1: Jones. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I'm not kidding.
0: <laughs> okay, on that, on that note, we'll. <laughs>
1: this has been Cartoon Night in Canada. Uh,
0: you can find us on Twitter at Cartoon Night Pod. Uh, follow us there. Uh, leave a good review wherever you get your podcast of choice. Apple Podcast is preferable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CinemaCreep.
1: And you can find me on either Twitter or, if you're feeling fancy, TikTok, both at Sylvie Skeletons.
0: And thank you very much. Uh, have a good one. See ya! Does Ango Jones really have a new song? Yet?
1: Yeah, he does!